you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1. Now, when I was growing up, you remember you had all of these ways to memorize the books of the Bible. And when you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, I, I memorized that as Gentiles eat pork chops. So uh, if that helps you any at all, Gentiles eat pork chops. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians first and then Ephesians, both in chapter 1. So if you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1. We are starting a new sermon series today. It is, What is God Like? And look at this beautiful, uh, this artwork that we have behind us. I want to say thank you to Patsy Kirkland and Tori Ladner. Didn't they do a wonderful job? And unfortunately, Randy's uh, truck was painted uh, while she was painting this. Right, Randy? So... Uh, Hopefully it will wash out or scrub off, or maybe Patsy will just buy you a new truck, whatever the case may be. I was reading a story about a kindergarten teacher. She uh, had her new kindergarten class, and she was teaching them how to draw. And one of the assignments the teacher gave them, it says, okay, everybody, I want you to draw that thing that you love the most. Whatever it is in your life, I want you to draw whatever it is that you love the most. And so as the kids took out their paper and crayons and they were working furiously on everything, she comes up to little Tommy and Tommy says, uh, she looks at Tommy and says, oh, that's beautiful. What are you drawing, Tommy? And he goes, oh, it's my puppy dog named Spot. Oh, it's a beautiful puppy dog. And she moves around and she goes over to little Mary and she goes, Mary, oh, that's wonderful. It's such beautiful colors. What are you drawing? That's my mom, my dad, and my maybe brother right there. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. She gets to little Susie. She comes over to Susie and says, Susie, what are you drawing? And Susie, without looking up or doing anything, she just continues to work. I'm drawing God. And the teacher thought for a moment and says, you're drawing God? Nobody has ever seen God. We don't know what God looks like. And she goes, without missing a beat, they will in a minute. <laughs> now, I can't promise you in my sermon series that I'm going to show you what God looks like, but I can tell you what God is like. And when we come to what is God and what is He like, we have to turn to one place, and that is Scripture. We can't look to the culture around us. And unfortunately, we do that too often, don't we? We look to the culture, we look to the world around us to tell us what God is like. In the world around us to tell us what if most people were explaining or trying to say something about God and this is what God is like, the number one thing they would say is God is love. And God is love without a doubt, but God is way more than just love, right? And they would say, oh, God is a forgiving God. I can do whatever I want. God is a God of grace. I can do whatever I want. But we also know that God is a God of vengeance. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of justice, right? And so we can't just do whatever it is that we want to do. And so when we look at what is God like, and this is a huge question. I've been asked this question many times throughout my ministry. And I tell every, it's, it's too big for me to answer. But we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to try to see what the Word of God says that God is like. Because the only place we can turn is His Word. We can't go anywhere else. I googled what is God like. Have you ever done that? Just You had to pop a question into your brain or something and, and you get on Google or whatever your internet engine, search engine is of choice and you begin to search. When I typed in, what is God like? I got 2.1 billion with a B results. 
2.1 billion people out there are trying to tell us what God is like. And I didn't read all 2.1 million of those posts, but I read a few of them and not very many of them, to be quite honest with you, because most of them were not very good. But when you type in, what is God like? Can I tell you what you're going to find about the first 12 to 15 pages? You're going to find this book right here. This book, it's called, What is God Like? And it's written by, let me put in quotation marks, Christian author, Rachel Held Evans. Now, she passed away earlier this year, and so I don't want uh, to say anything ugly. I'm not going to, creak to, uh, I'm not going to critique the book or give you a book review. That's not what my job is. But I want to show you what the world and what some believer or so-called believers are teaching our children about what is God like. And when we come to what is God like and what does it mean, who is God let me just read some of this to you, and you tell me if you find anything concerning about it, okay? So, put your, put your antenna up. What is God like? That's a very big question, one that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while nobody has seen all of God, because God is far too big for any of us to fully see, we can know what God is like. God is like an eagle, sharp-eyed and swift, with wings so wide you can play under their shadows. God is like a river, constant and life-giving. When you grow near God, you'll sprout up strong as a tree. God is like the stars, forever present and bright. Even when they, are, they feel far away, you can always look up and see them winking at you. God is like a shepherd, brave and good. A protector who loves her sheep so much that she watches over all of them and knows each of their names by heart. God is like a gardener, patient and nurturing. God plants, waters, weeds, and fertilizes the earth until every good thing on it seeks the nourishing sun and grows. God is like the flame of a candle, warm and inviting. With God close by, you can look to the light and see through the darkness of night. God is like the wind, passionate and full of mystery. God is both here and mysteriously also over there. God is everywhere, swirling throughout the world, whistling across mountain ranges, rustling through trees, and pressing against your cheeks on a breezy day. God is like a mother, strong and safe. You can crawl up in her lap whenever you want to, and she will hold you until you fall asleep. God is like a father, gentle and safe. He will put you on top of his shoulders to give you a bird's eye view of all creation. God is like three dancers, graceful and precise. They move to the same music in, every, in very different ways, showcasing all of God's elegance and rhythms in your life. And because we know what God is like, we know that God is kind, God is forgiving, God is slow to get angry. God is quick to be glad. God is happy when you tell the truth and sad when things are unfair. She is your protector. He is trustworthy. They are friends when you feel alone. God hopes. God perseveres. What is God like? My fingers aren't working. 
That's a very big question. One that people from places all around the world throughout all time have answered in many different ways. Keep searching, keep wondering, keep learning about God. But whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, and what makes you feel loved. That is what God is like. Now, again, we're not here to critique. Maybe I am. Or to give a book review. But did you see some things in that book that you wouldn't want to read to your children or grandchildren? Did you find some errors that were in there? Let me just point out a couple. And the biggest and probably the one that most of you uh, recognized immediately is the word she. God in the, in the Bible, whether it's in the Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, is never referred to the feminine. Not one time. In the 6,828 occurrences of his name Yahweh, it always has uh, masculine adjectives and masculine verbs. It is never in the feminine, not one time in all of the uh, Old Testament. And it is the same in the New Testament. His titles like Lord or Master or Creator or Sustainer or Firstborn, each and every one of them are in the masculine and never in the feminine. And when you come to the pronouns of God, there are always masculine pronouns. He, him, his. It's never hers or she. So that's number one. I want you to understand that our culture will tell you that we can pray to whatever God we want to pray and she will love you. It's like mother nature. Can I tell you there's no such thing as mother nature? It's only father God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. Now that's probably the most obvious thing. There's several others that I could point out to you, but let me just point to the other. Probably the more significant of the problems that are within that book is that when she tries to tell you what God is like, all she does is take a bunch of similes. God is like a bird in the sky that's got eagle eyes, right? God is... If we are going to find out, if we really truly want to know what God is like, we cannot compare God to anything else on this earth that he has created. We can only go to the place, the source, the word of God to find out what he is like. And so if we really want to know what God is like, let's go to the source. And when you think about that question, it's a huge question. I have a group of men that I meet with on Sunday nights, and I told them last week, y'all need to pray for me, because this is huge. I mean, where do you begin to talk about what is God like? Well, I thought about it and prayed about it, and I thought, well, the best place to understand, and I think what God wants us to understand, the number one thing that he wants us to know about himself is that he has made himself known. And how has he done that? If you have your word of God open to Colossians chapter 1, look in verse 15. It says, he, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. To know what God is like, we must go to the source, the Word of God. Unlike what Rachel Held Evans did with a bunch of similes, she picks out a bunch of attributes of God, and she tries to explain those attributes with something that we're familiar with. And let me tell you, she fails. Only the Word of God can tell us what God is like. And here in this brief synopsis of God, Paul is very clear that human beings can learn what God is like through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, first and foremost, whether you're sitting in a pew or listening online this morning, if you want to know what God is like, you have to have a relationship with him. You have to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone and no one else. And you have to understand that you are a sinner born in sin and that that sin has separated you from God. And in order for you to know what God is like, that sin has to be taken away. That guilt, that shame has to be placed on someone else. And that is exactly why Jesus Christ came. He came that your sin would be forgiven, that your sin would be placed on him, and on you would be placed his righteousness. You want to know what God is like? It begins with Jesus Christ. And if you remember uh, several months ago in our series, Red Letters, we talked about these verses. And I this illustration is too good that I have to continue with it. If you remember, we talked in Red Letters about this icon The first thing that we see is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the icon. That word image is the word icon. Now, every time you see the word icon in the New Testament, it has two meanings. And each and every time you see it, both of those meanings have something to do with the object. But only one of those meanings takes preference over the other. So if one of the meanings means something like in this case, icon, you see the quarter behind me. When you look at that image of uh, George Washington's head on a round circle, you immediately understand it's a quarter, right? It represents that quarter. It is the object that is the icon of the idea of quarter. You understand it means 25 cents. That is the icon. That is the image which it represents, 25 cents or a quarter. If you pull that coin out, or how about this? What if you looked in a mirror? And if I go up to a mirror and I look in the mirror, the image that I see, that is the icon, and it represents that which is looking into it. I am the object at that point of what the icon is of in the image of the mirror. You're, you're with me? So if Paul meant... For this to be the primary meaning of image of God, he would have said, Jesus is the image of deity. Just like that quarter. That quarter is an image of 25 cents. And here, if that's what Paul meant, he would have said that Jesus is the image of deity, which means that Jesus only symbol, as quarter just symbolizes 25 cents, doesn't it? 
And in the same way, he would have said that Jesus symbolizes God. But he doesn't just say that because if we read in context, and if you read the whole New Testament, we understand Jesus is more than just a symbol of God. Jesus is God, right? So that's where the other definition or the meaning of the word icon comes to play. Jesus is the icon. He is the manifestation of God. He is God. Manifestation means that the object, the icon, clearly embodies an abstract idea. Now, you try to explain God to your children, it's an abstract idea, isn't it? You can't see God. You can't verbally hear God. We can't smell or taste God, right? But in Jesus, God has made himself known. He understood that he is an abstract idea. And he says, here's what I'm going to do for those finite human beings that can't understand. I'm going to become a man. I'm going to have an incarnated body. I'm going to become flesh so that they can see and smell and taste that I am God. And they did that in Jesus Christ. Jesus became the visible expression. He is the actual uh, presence of God. He is God. And so when Paul says that Jesus is the image of God, he not only symbolizes God, but he also is God. And he comes in the flesh. Jesus brought God into human range of understanding. In Jesus Christ, the invisible God became visible. Think about it like this, when you get to heaven, if you are a born again believer in Jesus Christ and when you die and you go to be in the presence of God, wherever that is, guess what? The only person of the Godhead you'll see is Jesus Christ. He is the visible image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, it starts with knowing who Jesus is. What he is like is who Jesus is. In him, through our weakness and our humanity, in Jesus, we can know what God is like. Now, if you look at verses 15 through 18, Paul confirmed that Jesus, what, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, above and before all things, holding all things together, the head of the church and the firstborn of the dead, he is saying, this is who Jesus is. He's all of these things, but he does not stop there. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, he says, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fullness of God. What does that word mean? Fullness of God. In the dictionary of Bible themes, it says the totality of something as it is brought to completion by being filled Kind of a, a sentence that's hard to understand. Jesus expresses the full nature and purposes of God so that we may rest assured that through Jesus, we know God as he really is. That's what that means. He is the fullness of God. So Jesus as the icon of God expresses the full nature and purposes of God. Because of Jesus, we can know who God really is. We can know what God is like. But God, now hear this. 
I'm fixing to blow your mind. Because it blew my mind. As you think about this, this is deep water that we're wading in. Are you listening? But God is more than Jesus. Jesus is God, and he is the fullness of God. But God is more than Jesus. If you turn over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we don't have time to break apart that passage like I wish we did, but I want you to understand, Paul says that Jesus was and is completely God. Everything that Jesus is, God is. But God is more than Jesus. And how is God more than Jesus? Because God is the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son. He is the Trinity, the Godhead, three persons with one essence. And what is the essence of God is to have a relationship with you. You think about it from the very beginning of time, before time began, God says that he knew you by name. Before you were even thought of, he knew what you were in your mother's womb. Before the world was created, he has already called and elected you. How awesome is that? And here we see that from the very beginning, God created you for a relationship. He wants, to, he wants you to know him and he wants to know you intimately in a relationship. And yet, so few of us really know him that way. We don't understand the fullness of God. We don't understand who he really is. Paul states that the God had determined that the human Jesus would be God, sharing all the properties, the characteristics, and the rights of God himself. That's Jesus. The Greek word for fullness is pleureo. The root form of that is plero. Now, the root means full. Plereo means fullness or completeness. Now, when you look up these Greek words in your New Testament, you'll see that plereo is only used a, full, a few times, and every time goes almost exclusively to Jesus. But when we look up that root word, plero, over 200 times, it refers to the church. I thought, found that interesting, that it's found, and most of the time, it, it means the church. So turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 for me. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul is praying for the church. He says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He's praying for the church and look what he's doing. He is using Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his prayer. He said, here is the Godhead. Now jump to verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power standard, uh, power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness, there's our word, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We sing that song, all in all, this morning. Is Jesus truly your all in all? See, if he is, then you would be understanding what Paul is telling us right here. I wish we had time to work through this verse, these, these verses, but we don't. So in context, let me just point out three things. There are three displays of God's power in these verses. The first is the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead in the past is the same power believers you and I have through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit today. Do you understand that? When we're talking about the fullness of God and the fullness of the church and you and I are the church, right? And if we have the fullness of God within us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides within you. <laughs> Is that exciting or what? You have all of the power of God living within you. You have it all. That means that there is absolutely no excuse, no, not one, for you to say that I can't live the Christian life. You know why? Because you have all of the power of God. You have the fullness of God who raised Jesus from the dead living in you. How can you not live the full Christian life that he's called you to live? Well, we know it's sin. It's the weakness that we have. And here's what we do. We say, well, I need a little more Jesus. I need a little more more God in my life. Well, I haven't been reading my Bible lately, and so I need a little more God, or I need a little more Holy Spirit in my life. There's a story told of William Randolph Hearst. He's reading in an article in a magazine or newspaper, whatever it was, about this most beautiful art, this painting that he just had to have. And of course, he was one of the richest men in America, and he told his assistant, I need that piece of art for my collection. I want you to go to every museum, every art gallery. I want you to scour the face of this earth to find me this piece of art. Month after month, the assistant went out, and he looked for that piece of art. Finally, after several months, he finds the piece of art. He goes to William Randolph Hearst, and he says, I found that piece of art. Great, how much is it going to cost me? He said, nothing. Well, who has it? Well, they sell it. Surely there is a price. He says, the piece of art has been in your storeroom this whole time. You already own it. And see, we do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? We're out there, we're looking for Jesus. Oh, I need a little more of this. I need a little more of that. I need a little more Jesus or God in my life. And listen, you already have the fullness of him living in you. How could you need any more? The second power that we see, Jesus in his name or above all names. His name is above every ruler, every king, every demonic force, every satanic 
entity that you can think is. His name is above every president. His name is above all names. Everybody, both natural and supernatural, every being has been placed at the feet of Jesus. I mean, you and me as well. Everything is placed at his feet. He is above. He transcends every entity, natural and supernatural. And you have the fullness of him living in you through the Holy Spirit. How could we not be the people that he's called us to be? Number three, while Jesus is head over all of creation, and particularly he is the head of the church. He is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the Sunday school teachers, no one else. Jesus and he alone is the head of the church. The universal church, that means the church everywhere, the Catholic church, the corporate church, however you want to describe it, the church, the universal church is, now get this, the universal church is the fullness of Jesus, of which he is the head. That's interesting, isn't it? So that in Jesus, who fills all in all, we as his body are out there filling all in all on his behalf. As the, if you could read this in the Greek, this is a, it's a present tense middle voice. And what it means is that Jesus is now filling for himself the church that is all in all to the world around us. That we have a purpose. We as the body of Christ, we are the embodiment, you with me? We are the embodiment of Jesus in which he is the head. And because we are the embodiment, we are the body of Jesus, we have a purpose. The church is to glorify him. That is our purpose. And when we obey him, when we lead people to Christ, when we worship him, when we praise him, when we pray to him, when we are showing the world, the whole universe, that Jesus is the glory of God, that Jesus is God himself, what we're doing is we're bringing glory to his name and we're placing everything at his feet. What an awesome thought. The fullness with which Jesus fills all things is the church. You and I, because we have the fullness of Jesus, we are out there sharing him with the world around us. And in view of what we see in our culture, does that have an effect? Does it have an effect on the truth? Or does it have an effect on our daily lives? It certainly should, shouldn't it? Every waking moment. We as the body of Christ is here to do one thing, and that is to bring glory to him. God did not exalt Jesus or subject uh, all things to Jesus simply to bring glory to Jesus. He could have done that. I mean, you think about it. God, and we're going to talk about the attributes of God throughout this series. God is omnipotent. He could have snapped his fingers and every one of us had been on our face in front of him. But he chose not to do it that way. He chose to do it through me and you. He chose for us to point the world to him. Jesus, what God is saying, he says, hey, listen, son, you and those with whom you are united as head, 
go forth. Go all over the universe and fill it with all that you are in your body. Let everything from the highest heaven to the lowest hell be filled with a revelation of your glorious perfection. Let the chosen, the destined, the blood brought, the called, the justified, the sanctified, the holy, the body of Christ, the living God, go out and fill the world with your glory. That's what he's called us to do. To know what God is like, his body, the church, must understand and take seriously our calling. You want to know what God is like? He's a loving God. He's a trusting God. He's a giving God. He's a forgiving God. He's a grace God. But more than anything else, he, not more than anything else, but just as much as anything else, he's a jealous God. Are you living your life in the fullness of Christ so that you're pointing to the world around us how glorious he is? You want to know what God is like? That's how we do it. We live the way that he's asked us to live. Now, quickly, back to Colossians chapter 1 in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God, there's our word again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You think about it, from the very beginning of creation, God wanted to dwell with us, didn't he? We think about back to the garden. It says that Adam and Eve walked with God, the Spirit of God. They never saw the, the body, they did the Spirit of God. And you think about uh, when, when God led them out of Egypt, there was God's presence and smoke and fire, right? You understand? And you go to the temple or to the sanctuary first, and in the temple there was God's presence with smoke. And you think about Isaiah, there was God's presence with the wind. And we think about here is God's presence all throughout. And very rarely, only maybe a handful of times in the Old Testament, is God ever revealed as a human being. But when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus Christ steps on, when the incarnate Jesus, when the God, man, made flesh, appears, we now can see Jesus for who he is. We can see God for who he is. It's no more smoke and fire and wind, but in Jesus Christ, he chose, God chose to dwell with you and me. Oh, how exciting that God chose to dwell with us. He's offered this personal connection to every person that would trust in his son. Have you done that? If you're watching online, have you that personal connection with Jesus Christ? If you want to know what God likes, it starts with a relationship. And listen, if, for all of you sitting in these pews, Listen, I understand that 99.999% of you have trusted in Christ in this room. But are you living like it? Are you living in relationship with him? Are you living as if the fullness of God lives in you? If not, today is the day to repent. 
as we continue our quest to answer this question, what is God like? The first step is a relationship. The next step, and we'll talk about it, is to go back to his book. Not to that book. Rachel Held Evans doesn't have a clue what God is really like. And the reason that is, is because she doesn't have a very high view of Scripture. And if we have a high view, if we understand that this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, then we will know what God is like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you, God, that you want us to know what you are like. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here, whether in person or or online, that needs to make a decision for you, Father, that this would be the day. And God, maybe there's someone here that has been living their life like like they're half empty, that they don't have the fullness of Jesus in their life. And I pray today that whatever that sin is, whatever that thing is, whatever that habit is, that is keeping them from living the life that you've called them to live, I pray, God, oh, that you would, that you would pull them down on their knees even now. And they would repent and they would confess and they would live as if we were all filled with Jesus because we are. Thank you for your love. In his great name we pray.